Amen. Amen. Well, um, I shared this a couple weeks ago, uh, this story at um, the college group, which, by the way, if you're a young adult, whether you're in college or not, we meet on campus Wednesday night at 7 p.m. We're meeting in room 313 in the Stevenson Union. So it's for all young adults. Uh, we'd love to have you come out to our young adults group again Wednesday nights, 7 o'clock, room 313. We post on our Instagram, too. Oh, which, by the way, like... You need to follow at Mark on the Mic on Instagram. It's the funniest Instagram account I've ever seen. That's just a shout out, just like so. So I'm just saying, like he did. Okay, uh, I wasn't gonna go here, but I have to go here. Last, I wish I could put it on the screen. Last night he posted a video on his Instagram, going like, "Hey, I'm gonna share my story at church tomorrow," and he did like five or six takes, and it's literally the funniest video I've ever seen. So go check it out later. But um. Yeah, I wanted to start off sharing uh, a story from my life, from my childhood. I shared it with the college group a couple weeks ago. But um, growing up in Medford, we had this tiny three-bedroom, one-bathroom house uh, with eight kids running around. Um, it was crazy. And so we decided that we were going to take over this church property, which we called our second backyard. A few weeks ago here, I shared how we dug this big underground fort, and the tractor guy drove his tractor and went to the hospital. Well, we also had another fort on this property, and uh, it was a giant tree fort, literally like a five-story tree fort. We spent years and years building this thing. It was crazy. It had like an elevator system with a bucket and a rope pulley that you could go down. We had a dungeon where if people were trying to break into the fort, we would lock them up in the prison. It was amazing. And so, like, this was the realm in which, like, me and primarily uh, my brother Rousseau, my brother Kobe, like, we put so much work into this. It was like our kingdom. It was like we were in charge here, and, like, all the rules back home did not apply at this fort because, like, we built it, and, like, this is what it was about. There was one of my brothers by the name of Bo who never really wanted to help build the fort, but he always wanted to come and hang out at it, and we're like, no, like, that doesn't fly. Like, if you don't invest, like, you don't get to experience the blessings, you know what I'm saying? And so he'd always come and be like, oh, I want to go hang out, like, on the sunroof porch. I'm like, no, bro. Like, you ain't doing that. And so one day, he, like, went home and told my mom, he's like, they're not letting me hang out at the fort. And he comes back with a message from my mom. And is like, hey, mom says, if you don't let me hang out here, then, like, you're going to get some spankings. And I'm like, well, mom rules over the house on Driftwood Place, but she doesn't make the rules of the fort, like... This is our territory. Like, we make the rules. And our rules is, like, no, bro, you're not hanging out here. And he was like, fine, I'm going to go tell Bob and you're going to get spankings. And so he starts running, and we're like, oh, shoot. Like, we need to capture it. We need to do something about this. <laughs> so, like, I go down, like, this bucket elevator pulley system. And my brother Rousseau goes and chases him. My brother Rousseau tackles him, like, in this big field. And I pulled out of my back pocket one of our, like, discipline things. Like, it was this giant magnifying glass. And it was, like, a real hot summer day. So Poe got tackled in the field, and Rousseau's holding him down like in a chokehold, like George St. Pierre status. He's like straight choking him out, and I take this magnifying glass and like lift it up to the sun until there's just like this perfect little tiny dot right on his hand. And like five seconds in, his hand starts smoking. And I was like, whoa, this is like Toy Story status. It's crazy. I was like, this is awesome. So his hand starts smoking, and then he starts like screaming, and I was like, this is awesome. But then like 10 seconds in, I'm, like, seeing, like, the burn, like, going down deep, and I'm, like, oh, wait, like, this is my brother. I shouldn't do this. So, like, we let him go, and he ran home, and, like, he still, I think, got, like, a sweet little scar on his hand. He ran home and told my mom, and 
I did take probably some of the worst spankings of my life when I went home. And I was like, oh, that's a bummer, which is how the story's always ended from the second backyard. It was basically like, we think we rule the property here so we can do whatever we want. But in reality, my mom and dad were still in charge, and so we still always got spankings. As much as we wanted that second backyard to be our kingdom, our territory, where we rule, it never really worked because we always still had to submit to the authority of our parents, which was kind of a bummer. But in the end, now I see that it was actually beneficial. So I'm just saying. Now check this out. Matthew chapter uh, chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus uh, tells us in verse 9 to pray then like this. And he says this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus teaches us to pray. He tells us when you pray, this is how I want you guys to pray. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, meaning you're holy, you're righteous, you're just. And then he says, which is what we're going to focus on this morning, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the reason I wanted to share this passage of scripture with us this morning is because this is a huge part of our vision for the church. It's a part of our language. It's what we're praying to see. We're praying that we would see God's kingdom come and his will be done in Ashland as it is in heaven. We're praying that we would see the story of Jesus come and transform people's lives and that we would see the whole city literally changed by the gospel. And so this is what we're about as a church. This is what we're praying for. This is what we're asking God to do in the city. And so I wanted to, as a church, uh, go through this passage together and look at what does that really mean? Like, what are we really asking when we're praying that Jesus's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth, in heaven, in Ashland as it is in heaven? So we're going to look at this today. So first and foremost, part one, Jesus says, when you pray, ask and pray that your kingdom would come. When we're praying to the heavenly father, pray your kingdom come. And the first question is, like, what defines a kingdom? As we're asking God, we want to see your kingdom come in Ashland. We want to see your kingdom come in our lives. We want to see your kingdom come in other people's lives. What defines a kingdom? And a kingdom is really determined by whoever the king is, right? So you can't have a kingdom without the person who's a king. So it's not primarily referring to a geographical territory. A kingdom is the sphere in which the king over that land has uh, ultimate influence and the ultimate say and the ultimate authority. Like in our second backyard, we thought like, we're the kings, we can do whatever we want, like we're in charge, but in reality, mom and dad were still king. Like they still disciplined us all the time. So a kingdom, uh, in order to have that, it, a kingdom is determined by who the king is. Now, what defines a king? Like what makes a person a king? A king, again, it's a person who has ultimate authority. So when we're praying here, what Jesus says, God, we want your kingdom to come. He says, that's what we need to pray into. Um, that, that's saying, God, we want your authority. We want your sphere of influence to come and impact the people's lives in the city of Ashland, in the Rogue Valley. We want you to be the king over this city. We want people to, to live under your influence and submit to you as the king. And so God's kingdom, when we're praying, we want your kingdom to come. His kingdom is wherever he rules and reigns with full authority. So this is what we're talking about. And this is what we're praying about, God. We want your kingdom to come. God's kingdom is wherever he, Jesus the king, rules and reigns in full authority. But the question is, hasn't that already happened? 
Like, isn't Jesus already the king? Doesn't he already have complete authority? Hasn't he already came to the earth and established his kingdom? Well, on one hand, yes. It says in Psalm 103, verse 19, it says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what, that, that was after he conquered the grave. So Jesus... In, in one sense, he already does have all authority. Jesus already conquered the grave. He ascended to the throne and sat down as king at the right hand of the Father. So if God's kingdom already has come, if Jesus already has full authority, then why should we pray your kingdom come? That seems kind of confusing. If God's kingdom did come, if Jesus already is king, why are we praying that it would come and, and that he would be king? Well, there is a sense in which his kingdom has not come. And in order to understand what that is, we, we have to look at the next section of the passage. So look at this. He prays. Look at the connection. He prays, your kingdom come, in verse 10, your will be done. So God's kingdom has not come where God's will is not being done. There's a, there's a specific connection here. Your kingdom come, meaning we, we want you to be the king. We want to submit to your authority. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So where the will of God is not being done, his full kingdom influence and his full kingdom authority has not come in that place. And we need to ask another question then, which is a really good question. Well, isn't God's will always done? Like we're praying your will be done. Isn't God's will already done? Isn't it something that he accomplishes? Whatever he wills, whatever he's predetermined in his sovereignty, isn't that going to come to pass? Well, yes, there is a sense uh, of, and there is a part of God's will that always will come to pass, that already has been done no matter what. And that's called God's sovereign will. There are things that God has decreed in his will before the foundation of the world that always will come to pass and that man in his plans and ideas cannot thwart. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 46, verse 9 through 11. It says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all of my purposes. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. God says, I am God. And this is actually what makes God God. The like some people ask, who is God? What makes him God? One of the things that makes God God and that proves we're not God is that God has decreed things. He knows the beginning from the end. And what he has willed in his sovereign will will come to pass. He said, I've purposed it. I've spoken. It will come to pass. I've purposed it. I will do it. It says in Psalm 115 verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. So there are certain aspects of God's will, which is just called his sovereign will, which he has decreed before the foundation of the world, certain things to take place. And his will always will come to pass. 
What God has decreed will happen, will happen. He's seen the beginning and the end. He sees everything. He's the creator of everything. So if God's will already has been done, like if whatever he's decreed is going to happen, then why are we praying for God's will to be done? Like if he already knows the beginning from the end, what's the point in praying like your will be done? If he's the king, why are we praying your kingdom come? If his will is being done, why are we praying your will be done? Well, there is a sense in which God's will is not being done, and we will only see this when we make the connection with the next part of the passage. So look at this. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we have to look at this portion of scripture as a whole. God's kingdom has not come where his will is not being done. And we would ask, well, where is his will not being done? God's will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what he specifically says. We want to see your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And God's will is not being done on earth in the same way that it is being done in heaven. Although there's things that God has sovereignly decreed in his will that will come to pass, there's certain things that God has willed that have not come to pass. Let me give you a few examples biblically. Listen to this. First John chapter 2 verse 17 says, whoever does the will of God abides forever, which implies that some don't. There are some people who don't do the will of God. Not everybody does abide forever. Jesus said, this is the will of God, that you believe in him who the Father sent. Not everybody has done that. Not everybody believes in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Listen to this, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God's not willing that anybody would perish. He's willing that everyone would come to repentance, and yet... Some people don't repent. Although God's willing, he wants none to repent in his will. Some people don't repent, and therefore uh, they do perish. And so we see here that there are certain things that God desires in his will that just don't come to be. He wills that all people would trust in him. He wills that all would repent, and yet some people don't. He, he wills that everyone would do the will of God. They believe in Jesus, and yet not everyone does. And so... The part of God's will that is done in heaven but is not being done in full on the earth is what is called God's perfect moral will of command. I'll say that again. I'm trying not to get too theological and too complicated on you guys. But there is an aspect of God's will which is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's, I would just call it the moral will of God or the commanded will of God. Let me give you the example. In heaven, God's moral will, his perfectly commanded will, which we see in the entirety of scriptures, it is being obeyed in perfection by the angels in heaven. In heaven, not only is God's sovereign will being done, but God's moral will and his commanded will is being obeyed perfectly by all the creatures and all the angels in heaven. Heaven is a place of complete joy, of perfect peace, of purest love. The people and the, the angels and the creatures in the presence of God, they worship him in holiness. There's nothing in heaven that, that is not in submission to God's will. 
not just his sovereign will, but his commanded will, what, what he desires for people. But on earth, we see that we're living on a broken earth, right? Like, if, if this is the fullness of the kingdom of God, if, if the way we see the world today is the way that it's just going to be forever, that's not a kingdom that I want to be a part of. And, and, and that king is, is not a good king because we see, and this is one of the questions people wrestle with, why is there so much evil in the world if, if God the king truly is good? Like, in the world, we don't see God's commanded will being done as it is in heaven. In heaven, there is no murder. In heaven, there is no rape, there is no lying, there is no abuse, there is no lust, there is no adultery, there is no hatred, there is no jealousy. That's because in heaven, God commands, I, I don't want these things, these things are not a part of my attributes and my nature, and in heaven, his will is being done. The things he commands and says these are evil, those are not in heaven, and yet on earth, these are things that, that God in his moral will says are not right. They're not good, and they're not just. And yet, on earth, we experience all of these things. We experience brokenness. We experience a life of selfishness. We experience jealousy and hatred and lust and lying and murder and every form of evil. It's present on the earth, and that's because God's decreed will, what, what he has said, this is morally good, this is what I command you should obey, this is what's best for you as human beings made in my image, we, in our freedom, choose to say, you know what, although you don't want that for me, although that's not best for me, I'm going to choose to do that. And so on earth, because God's moral will that he has commanded is not being done, the reality is we live on a broken earth full of broken people because we've all broken the moral commanded will of God. So there's a huge difference here. There's certain things God in his sovereign will has decreed that absolutely will come to pass, but there's also things that God has commanded morally that, that we abide by. And yet, because we as human beings in our freedom choose at times not to obey the moral will of God, it's brought about, it's brought about brokenness on the earth. And so, as a result of living in the broken world that, that we do, that's why we see evil. That's why we experience pain. We experience brokenness. We experience suffering. It's a result of man not abiding by, not fulfilling the moral will of God. And so as a result of this, living in a broken, sinful world, this is why Jesus invites us to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth even as it is in heaven. So this prayer is not saying, God, we want your sovereignty to come to pass because it will. His sovereign will will be done. This is a prayer saying, God, we want your perfect moral righteousness that the angels obey, that heaven is walking in obedience to. We, we want to see that. Your commanded will, your moral will, the things that you call evil, we want people on earth to agree with you, God, and say, that is evil. The things that you, God, have said, this is not good for you as humans, we want us to say, God, we submit to you as the king. We believe that that's not good, and we don't want anything to do with that. And so this is why Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
because there's an element of living on earth where God's full authority as king, although he is king, people choose not to submit to his kingly authority. Although God's sovereign will is being done, there's a commanded moral will that people disobey. And his will is not being done on earth in the same way that it is in heaven. And this is what Jesus actually invites us to pray into. He says, we get to pray that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth where it's not being done as it is in heaven. Saying, God, we want righteousness. We want justice. We want your ways, which are higher than our ways, to become our ways. And so this is really what Jesus is inviting us to pray into. Now, this prayer for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, there's two elements to this prayer. And if you're a note taker, these are good things to write down. There's two elements. There is a number one future global element. And number two, there is a present personal element. So when God's saying, we want to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this is future and global, but it is also present and personal. Let's start with the first one for a second, the, the future global element to this prayer. When we pray, God, we want your kingdom to come, we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. The future element is we are praying and awaiting for the day that Jesus does come back at his second coming, that he comes and establishes his kingdom, that he rules and reigns in righteousness over all people, that every knee will bow and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is going to be a day, future, eternal, that Jesus comes back and we all will live in a perfectly righteous place like the Garden of Eden, how God created it to be. Sin entered into the world. There's going to be a day where God comes back and returns and he does away with all the sin and all the brokenness and all the evil that's in the world. And that's the future element of this prayer. When we pray your kingdom come, it's Jesus. Haste the day of your return. Come back and put an end to our brokenness that we all experience. Come and put an end to the hurt that we feel because of sin, sins that we've committed, sins that have been committed against us. Come and, and put an end to this. That's what we're praying for. We're looking forward to the second coming of Christ. And it says in Revelation eleven fifteen, it talks about this day that that will happen. It says, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. There's going to be a day that we hear the seventh trumpet blow and that we hear these words, the kingdom of the world where we live right now has become the kingdom of Christ and he will reign forever and ever. There's gonna be a day that he comes back and puts an end to all injustice. He puts an end to all brokenness, all pain, all hurt, all sin. It's done away with. And that's the first thing we're praying for when we ask that. So when we're praying, God, we want your kingdom to come. It's man, we look forward to the day that Jesus comes back and makes right all things that have been made wrong globally in the entire world the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our lord jesus christ but there's also a present personal element to this prayer and when we pray this god your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven it's not just we're looking forward to the day that you come back and make everything right it's also a prayer that we as individuals would right now presently in our lives 
surrender our autonomy and surrender our will in submission to Jesus who presently is seated on the throne ruling and reigning as king. When I pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, it's not just, I can't wait for you to come back. It's help me right now in this season of my life, submit my life and my kingdom and my will to to your will, to, to your authority, to your kingdom. God's kingdom isn't just a future reality. It's a present reality that he invites us to live in, that he invites us to participate in that he invites us to be partakers in. And so God's kingdom, it's, it's wherever, again, a kingdom is wherever the king rules and reigns in full authority. And so there is an element in which we get to be a part of, we get to taste and experience God's kingdom on earth, although we're living on a broken earth, we experience it when we submit our lives and surrender our will to the authority and the kingship of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Like it's saying today, God, would you be king? Today, would you come and establish righteousness and holiness in my life? Today, God, would you come do that in the city of Ashland? Today, would you come do that in the Rogue Valley? It's saying we don't want to just wait for the day that you come back at your second coming. Do that in me today. I today want my kingdom to be God and I want your kingdom to come in my life. I today want nothing to do with my will and what I've planned. I want to surrender and submit to your will. And I pray your will and your kingdom would be done in my personal life, even as it is in heaven. But the reality is this prayer, being willing to pray this, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, even as it is in heaven. We're only going to see that happen you will only see your life as a part of God's kingdom being used for the kingdom. You'll only see God's kingdom come in your life to the, to the degree that you let your kingdom go. Saying, God, your kingdom come is saying, God, what I've been living for, my life, my kingdom, we talked about this last week, we're all born king of our own life. Man is born a self-governed being. His natural desires is I'm going to dictate my own future. I don't want anybody over me. I want to be an autonomous being. I want to do what I want. I don't want to have to submit to anything. But praying, God, your kingdom come is praying, God, my kingdom's got to go. The things I have planned for my life, the things that I thought were best, I'm going to submit those to your authority because I realize you're God. I realize that you're in control. I realize you see the beginning from the end. You see things from a different perspective than I do. And so I'm willing today to give up my kingdom and my will to say yes to what you have planned, to say yes to being a part of your kingdom, to say yes to the plans that you have for my life. Because the reality is there can only be one kingdom in each kingdom. And although we're born king of our hearts, we're born governed by self, to say, God, I want your kingdom to come, there's now going to be a conflict because God has certain things he wants to do in your life. But if you're not willing to give up your kingdom and your plans, you're not going to see those come to pass. Jesus said in Mark 3, 24, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. He said in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. So Jesus is saying, man, to see my kingdom come, if you want that here and now, not just at the second coming of Christ, you have to be willing to say, I, I want you to be king today. 
I want your will to be done today. I surrender again my kingdom, my will, my desires, everything. I surrender that to you. I don't want to serve myself as master. I, I don't want my life to be just about me. I don't want my story to be just about me. I want to discover my place in God's story. I want to discover that living for his kingdom is so much better than the plans I have for my own. And so this is what Jesus is inviting us into. He's inviting us to live in and be a part of his kingdom here and now and today. And if we're living for our own kingdom and at the same time trying to bring his in, there can be no furtherance of either one. Like if part of the time it's me and what I want to do and part of the time it's I do want to surrender, we're not going to see God use us in the way that we can. But if we, as Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus says, all these things will be added to you. When we put his kingdom first, guess what he does? Because he's such a good king. He actually takes care of all of our needs. He actually takes care of the things we think we need in our kingdom. He says, man, when you live for my kingdom, everything that you need is gonna be added to you. He, the king who is sovereign, is gonna take care of you. And a lot of times we get so caught up and so worried trying to do all these things for ourselves. And Jesus is saying, man, step back and be a part of what I'm doing and just watch how I miraculously provide for you. Watch how I take care of your needs when you seek first my kingdom. It's so amazing. And so this is what we're praying into as a church. This is what I'm praying into individually. God, I want to see your kingdom come and your will be done in Ashland, in the Rogue Valley, as it is in heaven. And the only way we're going to see that the, the only way we're going to see this vision God's given us for what he's doing in, the, in this community is if it starts with us, is if it starts with you as an individual saying, today, Jesus, I'm going to make you the king of my life. And maybe you did that 10 years ago or 20 or 30 years ago when you gave your life to Jesus. But man, there's times, although we at one time submitted to the kingship of Jesus, it can be so easy to just slowly begin to stray, to slowly walk away from his throne. And you realize, although you've had a relationship with Jesus 5, 10, 20 years, you realize down the road, like, wow, how am I back on the throne again? Like, I, I've been inviting Jesus into my life and to be present and to do what he wants. And yet I find like I'm the king again. I'm living for myself again. I'm doing what I want again. And so this question that I want to ask you is something I want you to think about um, today, to meditate on, to journal about, to take time to really see where you're at in regards to it. And the question is, what areas of your life have you not submitted to the authority of King Jesus? Is there anything in your life today that you know Jesus is saying, man, I want you to give that up because I have so much better for you. The plans I have are so much better. Is there anything presently in your life and in my life that we have not submitted to the authority of King Jesus? What parts of your kingdom are you still holding on to? And you guys, the reality is we all do this. We, we all do this. There's things in our lives that we're like, man, like, this is my kingdom and what I want. And Jesus is saying, man, I have something so much better. If you just let that go, if you just give that up. And it, sometimes it, it's the most difficult thing that we can do. But this is a question I think is really good for us to wrestle with. Because we're not going to see God's kingdom come, his will be done in Ashland, in the Rogue Valley, as it is in heaven. We're not going to see that done unless it starts with us. 
unless we begin to ask ourselves these questions, God, do it in me. And when it becomes a reality in your life, you won't even have to try. You'll go out and you're living for Jesus and you're submitting to the authority of Jesus. And you're saying, I want to see your kingdom come. Your will be done. And you'll be in the community. You'll be at work. You'll be with your family. And you'll see God using you. You'll see the kingdom that you're a part of spreading to other people who God has given you divine relationships with. And so, again, it starts with us today saying, God, what parts of my kingdom am I still holding on to? And surrendering those things, it really is the hardest thing that a human heart can do. Saying, I'm going to give up my kingdom for yours. That is the hardest thing that we can do. And I am telling you, you cannot do it in your own strength. If you're striving to try and give those things up, you can't do it. The only way you're going to be able to give those things up that your heart is holding on to is the same way that we saw Jesus surrender to his own will and take the Father's instead, which is amazing. Jesus himself faced the same thing that we face. Jesus himself, when he came in human flesh, wrestled with, man, should this be about my kingdom now or the eternal kingdom, the things that God has planned for me? It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You guys know the story. Jesus was about to go to the cross, meaning he was about to die one of the most brutal deaths ever created by humans. He was about to die and suffer on the cross, and he knew that that was what lied ahead of him, and he was so stressed and so anxious and so burdened by what he knew was about to happen. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he actually began to sweat drops of blood. He, he, he was overcome with so much anxiety. He was actually sweating blood and he prayed in Matthew 26, 39. He said, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. Speaking of the cup of God's wrath, he was about to go and take for the sins of the world. Speaking of the crucifixion, he said, if it's possible, God, I don't want this. I don't want to have to go to the cross. I don't want to have to go through the pain and the suffering I'm about to experience. And yet in his prayer, he prayed, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And that really is the only way that you and me are going to be able to give up our kingdom and the things that we're living for and be a part of God's kingdom and God's story is when we come to Jesus and say, you have to do this. Like, not my will, but yours, God. You have to do this. And the amazing thing is, Jesus, he actually surrendered his earthly comfort and his, his very life. He gave his life. He gave his earthly comfort. He gave his earthly kingdom. And he went to the cross in obedience to the Father's will. Again, he said, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus went to the cross in obedience to the Father's will. And then when he was being crucified on the cross, he actually declared one of his final sayings. He said, man, it is finished. He said, it is finished. It's a finished work, which is so amazing because in Jesus surrendering his kingdom, giving up his earthly kingdom, submitting his will to the will of the Father. In doing that, in going to the cross and taking on the sins of the world, Jesus actually fulfilled the perfectly righteous, not only the sovereign will of God, but Jesus fulfilled the moral commanded will of God that we struggle to fulfill every single day. 
the things that God says, this is right, this is what I decree, this is what I want for you. When Jesus surrendered his will and kingdom and went to the cross, he fulfilled the sovereign will of God and he fulfilled the moral will of God. In Christ there was no sin, yet he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Which is so amazing that in Jesus, surrendering his will, surrendering his kingdom, saying it is finished, he meant I fulfilled the law. The, the law that brings guilt, that brings condemnation to all of us because on earth we do not live and we do not walk in obedience as they do in heaven. Jesus said it's finished. He did it. He fulfilled the moral command and will of God, and in doing so, conquered the death, rose from the grave three days later. Where did he go? He ascended to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, where currently, right now, he's seated. He's on the throne. He's ruling and reigning, which means what? It means he's the king. He declared all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus fulfill his own prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He did that. Jesus' kingdom came. God's kingdom came. God's will was done. His sovereign will, his command and moral will was done in the person of Jesus. And as Jesus died, he said, it's a finished work. It's finished. He completed the will of God. And now we as the people of God, by faith in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, guess what? We're, we're a part of his story. We're a part of his kingdom. We are going to see his kingdom expand. We're going to see people come into the kingdom. We're going to see people released from the chains of darkness and come into light. We're going to see God use our lives to further his kingdom. When we look to Jesus and say, Jesus, you've done it. You've fulfilled the perfect will of God. You fulfilled the moral commands of God. And now in Christ, we're a part of that. We're a part of this kingdom movement. And so I today just want to encourage you guys to just keep Jesus at the center of everything you do. There's going to be times where you're struggling. Man, my kingdom, my will, I'm wrestling with that. Look to Jesus. Look to what Jesus has done on the cross. Look to how he surrendered his will to the will of the Father, how he gave up his earthly comfort and his earthly kingdom. And now in doing that, he's established an eternal kingdom that we all get to, to be a part of. And this is what we're praying for. And I want you guys as a part of this church body to be praying for this as well, because this is what we believe God's doing in this city. We believe we are going to see God's kingdom come. We're going to see his will be done in Ashland, in the Rogue Valley, as it is in heaven. How is that going to be done? Through Christ in us. Through us walking with Jesus day by day, looking to Jesus. You're going to see him use you in ways that you never believed if you continue to keep him at the center of everything you do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much.